In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Y'all, what's up? Oh, I've waited like a week. Right, they let me preach last week, and I so wanted to just be back, and it was actually wonderful, because my wife and I, we usually don't get to sit together and worship uh, together, so that was a gift, but oh, how I've missed and how I love um, to serve you as your rector. If you're newish here, you've been here the last four months, you're like, what is happening? Who is this guy? Um, I'm Sean. We've been on sabbatical for, for a while, and I'm so excited and looking forward to meet you, um, but I'm back home, and this is... Uh, this feels, it feels so good. Thank you. I just want to begin, first of all, by saying thank you as a parish for giving our family the gift of rest. That was, <laughs> it was unspeakable how wonderful that was. We feel the love. Thank you very much. Um, over the summer, um, that long rest after a long period of sort of eight years of, of church planting and ministry and church stuff, just, it was a lot. So to be able to get away and get rest was truly a gift from God, and we are, we're so deeply grateful for it. Um, let's jump into our text this morning. I don't have an awesome segue from like, thank you for the rest and let's study the Bible. So let's just do this and see if I still know how to preach. This morning, I want to meditate with you on the parable of, that Jesus gave in Luke 15. Did you hear this story? If you've been around church, you've heard this parable countless times, I'm sure. And maybe if you're like me, you sort of start to check out because, yeah, 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 I get it. I, I've heard this one before. But I want to meditate and take a close look at this. This is, to begin, the context to which this parable is given. Did you notice that this is really, really critical? This mixed crowd of tax collectors and sinners who draw near to Jesus. What an interesting thing to say about them. Compared to these Pharisees and scribes who are grumbling very much like the Israelites waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain, complaining about God who wouldn't give them what they want when they wanted it. We're growing a little impatient, and we have all these objections. We have a similar sort of scene of Moses and Mount Sinai, and now Jesus, the new Moses, coming to teach, and these people are grumbling, and the crowd is mixed. I've always found two key things to be really, really important when you're studying the parables of Jesus, things that I wish I would have learned like a long time ago. They've been really, really helpful about understanding these cryptic sort of puzzled stories that Jesus issues. And I want to offer them to you to see if this helps as we look into this parable. First, Jesus tells these parables to reveal something about himself. These parables are about him. These parables are about Jesus. Like, you know, all the parables, like prodigal son or like sort of the good Samaritan. They're actually all about Jesus. They're revealing something true about who Jesus is. They're not homework for you to go and like figure something out and make things right. No, no, no. All of that gets settled when you get to see Jesus. All of that falls into place. But first, in these parables, we must see that Jesus is revealing something about himself. Second, if you want to understand uh, these parables... You can only ever understand these parables in the context of your actual life. Because these parables leave you in this sort of perplexed question-asking thing, the space, for you to dissect and figure out, Jesus, who are you and what does that mean for the situation that I'm in today? They're meant to be unpacked in your actual life, even if it's messy. And I know it is, y'all. I know your life is messy. These parables are meant to be unpacked in that context with the things you're really dealing with. And allow the Holy Spirit in those spaces to speak and move and illuminate Jesus 
present and at work exactly in your life as you have it. Not somewhere else, exactly in the mess of your life. When we do this, when you, when you understand the parables about Jesus, when you, when you read and study them and think about them in your life, you find a God who's near to you and at work doing things. You can kind of pay attention to that and cooperate with it. So those two things in my own life have been super helpful. I hope they're helpful for you as we dig into Luke 15. This particular response or this particular parable is an answer of an accusation given to Jesus, right? These people are they're, they're upset, they're frustrated that this guy eats with these people? And so he gives this story. These, in other words, insiders of the religious establishment, those who are in the right, who have studied the law, who have studied the scriptures, who have played by the rules, who have followed faithfully God's commands, are issuing an accusation about Jesus, which is a whole nother sermon, about the company that he's keeping. That dynamic is actually really, really important. The insiders complaining about the outsiders and that Jesus is with them. This man receives sinners, verse 2 says, and eats with them. That may not sound like scandalous to us, but this was kind this is a big deal. The response that Jesus gives um, is this story of a shepherd who leaves his flock of 99 sheep. To go and find one sheep who, who knows where it is. The shepherd goes to find this one lost sheep. That doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're sort of like a cost analysis, return on investment, sort of like let's be strategic about the investments we've made with this flock. That doesn't make a ton of sense. And yet we find the shepherd scandalously kind of going off and finding this one lost sheep. And notice that Jesus is, is telling the story Again, mixed company here to these sinners who come close to hear him and these people who don't think that they're lost, but they're actually on the inside of things. You could see that this is kind of interesting and complicated. Who's the lost sheep here that Jesus is referring to? Notice that Jesus' parable isn't a defense of himself or a denial of their claim. I'm not hanging out. No, he doesn't do any of that. He actually tells this story. Notice it's not... A defense of himself. Notice this parable isn't about the failures of the sheep who's lost. Giving all the reasons that sheep really should have been in the pen. And like, here's, here's what you did and here's why you're all screwed up and here's why you're lost. This parable has nothing to do about the failures of the sheep. Or about how the rest of the herd was in the right. Look, if they obeyed, they stayed put. We hear nothing about that in this parable. This parable is solely about the rescuing actions of the shepherd. You see how this is about Jesus, right? This parable is actually about the rescuing actions of the shepherd, not the faults or the rights of the sheep. And notice how Jesus emphasizes the shepherd's willingness to risk it all, to leave the 99, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, Why? Because every single sheep matters to this shepherd. What does that say about Jesus? You could spend all day, right, reflecting on this parable and asking, what is this this showing me about who you are, Lord? And when we do that, this, this parable begins to do work in us that is probably very specific for each one of you because we all have very different lives and also very similar lives. 
but it begins to do a work in us with the Holy Spirit, if we can receive it. It's doing this work, I think, at least for me, and I, I think for all of us, of expressing the outreaching love of God. The shepherd to those who are lost. Just meditate on that for just a moment. To contemplate the outreaching, scandalous love of God. Who would leave it all behind, who would forsake it all, who would empty himself. That shepherd to come and find even just one. Not just those who realize they're lost. Not just those who realize that they're lost. That sheep had no clue. The sheep are dumb, people. They have no idea what's going on. It's out there eating berries or I don't know whatever sheep eat. Wandering around the wilderness. The sheep was not rescued because it knew it was lost. And not those that we judge are lost. The other sheep are just as dumb. They don't know what's going on. This isn't about... The, the sheep that, oh, we reported to the shepherd that you were lost. No, the shepherd knows who's lost. These sheep are clueless. This is about a God who pursues his flock, every single one of them, and on his terms, as he sees it, without our help as his sheep. Wow. Who is that then? Who is, who is the lost sheep, we might ask? Let me just cut to the chase because we don't have a lot of time here. Take, around your, take a look around your life as you have it. It's probably you. It's probably you. In many different kinds of ways. Whether you're the religious insider who's having a lot of trouble with the company that Jesus is keeping. Or the people that come to this table. Yeah, you could be, yeah, that's pretty lost. Or you could be the other side of things. Like just feeling like a total outcast. And just your life's all messed up. And you're doing things that are like taking life from you. Yeah, you could be lost too. That's probably it. The point isn't that you're lost. The point is there is a shepherd who's looking for you. Who's coming to pursue you and rescue you. Whether you know it or not. Whether you're inviting it or not. He's coming in a kind of humiliating way. To grab you and throw you over his shoulders and bring you home. That's what this is about. And that's why this is good news. If you're still sort of clueless. Or you're defensive about. Like don't call me lost. I'm fine. This only reinforces uh, the parable, like, yeah, so did the sheep, of course. They, we all kind of feel like that in ways. But don't stop there. Don't stop with the, okay, I'm lost, or maybe I'm a little defensive, I'm not lost. You dig deeper. Dig deeper to find the one who's actually looking for you, pursuing you. Consider the fact that God loves you and is coming after you, exactly where you are. Don't make this parable, in other words, about you. It's not about you. <laughs> it's about these one, the one who's coming to rescue you. The one who bends over backwards to risk everything to reach out for you who needs rescue. And maybe somebody in here doesn't need rescue, but I can't imagine who that would be. I needed rescue. St. Paul, who we look up in Herald, is like, wow, that guy is amazing. He like wrote half the New Testament. He said, I was the worst of it all. I needed rescue. So if you need rescue, you're in very good company because this is a place of people who have been rescued and are being rescued daily. And this is exactly who it is that we come in contact with in this room, in this space, as we gather together at this table, the God who rescues sheep. 
It's Jesus Christ, even still today, at work, rescuing, coming after you, throwing you over his shoulder. As Paul says, with a grace that overflows and abundance, he is the one who has come into the world to save sinners. This is the reason he's present here with us, is to save, is to rescue. Maybe you don't, if you're honest, maybe you don't think you need a rescue. When I sit and think about this peril, I, I come up with all sorts of justifications why I'm not really wrong here. I'm just, I don't really need the rescue. This person really needs the rescue. This doesn't really apply to me, Jesus. Could you help show me some of my problems? I'm without fault in this argument. Why should I have to apologize? You know, like those sort of self-talk. Like, do I, I'm not really that sheep. I was with the 99. I, I was in the right. But the longer you sit with this, the, the longer you realize how ridiculous that really is. And what, what need do we have to uphold that persona anyways? We are all lost sheep. We don't need to be defensive about this. And the thing is, this is the kind of shepherd who won't force you to admit that you're wrong, who won't kick in the door. He'll come find you. He'll come pursue you. But if you think, I don't need a rescue, he'll move on. That's okay. He'll still find you again. He'll still come for you again. But he's not going to force you to admit everything you've done wrong in order to be rescued. He will pursue the rescue because he loves you. Not because you're getting it right or you realize you need a rescue or you really feel even worse about the thing you've done. He pursues us persistently. He keeps searching for us. And when we are found, when we welcome being found, in other words as well, when that repentance comes, when we volunteer, like, you know what, yeah, (laughs) I do need a rescue. I've done the work now of sitting with Jesus and maybe with this parable and inviting the Holy Spirit to show me how I need a rescue. And being courageous and just totally open to this. Abandon yourself to that. That act of repentance turns us to the shepherd, welcoming us, welcoming him to throw us over his shoulder and to bring us home, to give us the forgiveness of sins. Not because we deserve it or we've made an account of all the sins we've committed properly or something not even because can i just say this and we can cut this from the youtube thing not even because we say the confession of sin correctly in the prayer book or something not even because we do the liturgy right not even because we're here on sunday there's no sort of set of qualifying lists that make us inside for jesus to rescue us to be qualified to be the ones that deserve it he comes to pursue us regardless but we can surrender ourselves we can welcome that and that could look like a lot of different things When the last are found and repentance comes, joy in heaven erupts. You think we as a church throw amazing parties? Y'all have no idea. I don't either. The kind of joy that erupts in heaven when one who is lost, one sinner who realizes where they are and that they need rescue, is indeed rescued and brought home. Joy erupts in heaven. Unspeakable joy. You might find it easier um, if if you're something like me, like an occasional sort of narcissist, you might find it easier to classify everyone else's sin rather than deal with your own. You might be tempted to tell yourself why or justify yourself. How maybe you're, yeah, I'm sinful, but not as bad as that person. You might even be concerned that this church keeps company with questionable people. Uh, Should they be here? I don't know. 
I don't know about this. I'm uncomfortable with this. You might find yourself sort of thinking or, or saying those things. What I love about this church is that I think that we are all screwed up enough to realize that we are all lost and in need of rescue. And nobody's better than the other. Right? I mean, we all realize this, right? Maybe it's just me. And if Jesus keeps company with people like us, wow, what grace. What an amazing welcome. That he would welcome us. He could welcome them, whoever those people are. And friends, we could spend a whole lot of time naming the those people in our society and in our world, couldn't we? We could name a whole lot of pe- those. Should they be here? Are they really? Wait, first, they need to know that they're in sin. First, they need to, they need to recognize these judgments about them. Maybe, maybe I should share this with, with them so that they can really recognize God at work in their lives. Maybe I should put the sins of others before them. Maybe they have, they have no idea. Friends, a people preoccupied with the grace of God cannot be a people preoccupied with the judgment of others. Amen? When you really get a hold of the grace of God, and really you can't, it's like hugging a sequoia or something. You just can't get a hold of it, right? And in fact, it really gets a hold of you. It totally and utterly changes and continues to renovate the way you see others and the scandalous company that Jesus welcomes. Yes, he keeps company with them. He keeps company with you. What an amazing God we have. What grace. What unspeakable love. As we come to the table, we're faced with this truth that God invites us on his terms, not on ours. He invites tax collectors and sinners. He decides who comes to his, his table, and he has invited us. That's really good news. This should be no surprise. Jesus isn't just sort of making this up on the fly. If you go back to Luke 4, Father Ryan's been talking about this um, in, his, in his preaching through the Gospels. That, that scroll that he picks up from Isaiah in the synagogue and announces good news to the poor and the oppressed and those in bondage. God is chasing after those people. Those people, in many ways, are us. But those people are actually also the really oppressed, the really incarcerated, the really poor, the really outsiders. Jesus is going after those people. Not out of judgment, but out of love. So we should be mindful, right, of the same ways that we view whoever those people might be in our lives. Because God is after them and welcoming back him, them back to his table. This, this sort of good news, and friends, really, this is good news. Com- let me just sort of by comparison. If someone else got to decide all these things, who was in and who was out, it would be really bad news. But we have a God who decides this, who is scandalously loving and gracious. We have a God who gets to decide this, who laid down his own life on the cross for every single person. He gets to decide who comes. He gets to decide who's worthy of his rescue. And he has decided that all of us are worthy of that rescue. This compels St. Paul in his letter to Timothy. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost, he says in verse 15. This posture that Paul has, we can take this. This sort of ruthless honesty, we can take this on. Is actually the sacrifice that God desires from us, right? Not anything else. But just as the psalmist says in 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken uh, and contrite heart. Do you think Paul got there by trying harder or feeling worse about himself or really digging deep to just, just like totally be like, 
have no self-worth or something? Like that kind of self-downward? No, I don't think, I think he came in view with a, a Jesus such that the rest of his life was illuminated as impoverished and broken. And all he had to offer was that brokenness back to the Lord. It was by willing, willingly receiving the help of God through the ministry and the person of Jesus that Paul could see that changed him, that saved him. So what does that look like then for you? Take your life as you have it. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for you today, this morning? With everything that's happened this week, maybe everything that's going to happen in the next week, maybe larger things. What does it look like for you, in a very humiliating way, to be thrown over the shepherd's shoulders, to be brought back home? Maybe it means sort of muting or abandoning all that inner dialogue that condemns you, keeps you away. The pride, maybe. Even maybe the justification that you're rehearsing in your mind right now. Maybe it looks like taking those burdens that you're carrying around that you don't think Jesus cares about or you don't know what to do. Maybe it looks like taking those off and allowing them to be handed over to the Lord. Maybe he could carry you and those burdens. Maybe it looks like repenting as Jesus brings us to in the parable. Turning from our way of doing things and being dragged over his shoulders on the way home. Friends, there is a work this morning that you must do. Can I urge you to do? Not to leave saying, well, it's good to have Sean back. It was an okay sermon, but you know, we went on with the liturgy. It's fine. But to do the real work here, don't miss this, of sitting in this moment saying, Jesus, I, am I lost? I'm pretty sure I am. Would you show me? In really practical ways, right in my life as I have it, Jesus, show me who you are. And thereby illuminate everything else in my life that I can offer you back that brokenness and that repentance that you would bring me home. Do this work this morning. Even as we sit preparing to come to the table, that's a perfect time to do this work. While we're kneeling, confessing our sin, don't just rehearse the words. Mean those things. Say, pray those words of confession. Jesus, show me. I know I'm not great. I know I've sinned. Show me even deeply, more deeply how deep that goes. Don't grumble about who gets to come at this table or grumble about the fact that you don't think you deserve to be at this table. Don't grumble about that because you are. That's already been settled. The only scandal left about this table is the grace of God. That scandal is more than enough for us to behold this morning. So now let's enter into that work. In a moment of silence, let's invite the Holy Spirit to show us our lives and and then welcome that shepherd to bring us to his table this morning. Amen? Thank you.